Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Welcome to those who are joining us online. Thank you so much for making us part of your day. And I just want to say it is wonderful to see your faces today. I love it. Thank you guys for being here. Yeah, you can give a hand. to The Lord brought us to this place. It's awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, we're going to continue a series today that we started a couple of weeks ago, Renovating Your Heart. And in this series, we started by looking at this first charge, first invitation of Jesus' ministry, which was to invite people into the kingdom of God. First and foremost, that you can be a citizen of, a child of God, that you can be a part of his family, a part of his citizenship, if you will. But that comes with a whole new life. And it kind of forces us to ask the question, what's God's desire for us within his kingdom? Like now that if you've crossed over that line of faith, you've become a follower of Jesus Christ, so what does that mean for you? That demands some things for us to behave and to live radically different, to understand ourselves, others, God differently than we did before. It isn't just saying, oh, that sounds like a good deal, I'll take that, yeah? It's not like a buffet line, it's something that we give ourselves to. And this is a question that has been asked down through the ages, and the answer to this is uh, given to us by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It's many places in Scripture, but I feel like it's so clear here. I want us to take a look at it together. <clears throat> Here's what Paul says. He says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become, let's say it together, to become like his son. There you're, there's your answer. What is God's agenda? What's his end game? What's his hope for your life once you're in his kingdom, once you're one of his children? Is Christ-likeness. He wants to make you like his son. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. It's what you've been created for. You've been made for this. And you are the most yourself. Sometimes we, people worry, I'm going to lose my identity if I give myself fully to God. No, no, no. You don't even fully know who you are until you are fully given to your creator so that he can show you who you really are. It's beautiful. So that his son Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's inviting us into his family to become like him. And it is a process that will bless you, but you have to submit yourself to the process. You have to surrender yourself to the process. So we started this whole series by asking that question, how do we begin to do this? Now, this is an area of theological study that's been around for as long as there have been Christians, um, which today is called spiritual formation. This idea of how do we transform, how are we to grow to be disciples of Jesus? How do we grow from the inside out? How is that supposed to happen? There's a lot of different thoughts and ideas about it, but the beautiful thing is that God has been so clear throughout Scripture about how that needs to happen for us. It is some work, but it is so worth it. It's like the pearl of great price. You remember the parable of uh, the guy who went and sold everything he, he had so that he could go buy the field that had the treasure that was worth everything. Like he, To him, it was the greatest deal in the world. I will gladly sell everything for this. I will gladly give up everything for what God has to offer. That's 
the heart. That's the, the approach. And so first week in the series, we talked about <clears throat> the first step that we have to have is a step of self-surrender, of saying, God, I want your will instead of my will. Will's will, all right, or your will. <laughs> I guess it's confusing, doesn't it? Anyway, you, you put God's will over yours. In other words, it's called dying to self. We die to self so we can come alive in Christ. And that was the first week we unpacked that, why we need to do that, why that's important, and how freeing and powerful that can be. If you missed that week, check it out. Week two, we talked about the next step is learning to be transformed in our minds, beginning that process, because it's in our minds we first turn away from God, all the way back into Genesis. It was thoughts that turned Eve and Adam against God. It is in our thoughts that we must turn back to him. And in our thoughts, in the images that we put into our mind, and we're told in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that we should take every thought captive and made subject or submissive or obedient to Christ. That this is something we absolutely can do. It's gonna take some time. It takes some effort. God's gotta be a part of it. His Holy Spirit's gonna be a part of the process. But it is awesome to see God is going to change our life. And I ended by challenging you with scripture memory to start letting that be a regular part of your life. And I wanna just say, I know some of you, some of the small groups, some other people, started memorizing scripture. Word has made it back to me. And I just wanna say, way to go, guys. Keep doing it. If you haven't done this, I encourage you to begin somewhere to start to memorize. Let God's word regularly be a part of your life. There is such power that has come to my life personally from this spiritual discipline. I encourage you to do it. It is radical how it changes, begins to change our thoughts. Now today, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pick up part two on the transformation of our mind. <clears throat> and we're gonna move from just thoughts and images into how they manifest themselves into our feelings, okay? Our feelings and our emotions. And I think we can all agree, feelings are a blessing and a curse at times, right? The most elated, wonderful, amazing experience you've ever had, by and large, you had that because of feelings that you had, right? And the most depressive, dark, horrible, anxiety-ridden moments of life also were your feelings. And I think we can all agree, feelings don't always act rational. They don't always make sense. And they um, very much um, try to dictate our life. So I want you to see this morning that our feelings, they are so powerful in our life, but they are connected to our thought life. Our thoughts generate our feelings. And I was thinking about that this week as I came across this great study that was recently done at the University of Tennessee. At the University of Tennessee, they did this study where they took people and they exposed them to just five minutes of negative radio a day. And here's what they found. Just five minutes of negative radio a day, it generated three results in people. Number one, it made them more depressed. Just five minutes. Number two, it made them more likely to think the world is a terrible place. And number three, maybe the most alarming of all, it made them less likely to help other people. Five minutes of negative radio. How many of us spend way more than five minutes on social media getting all kinds of negative messages or negative political talk shows or negative whatever? I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, what you put into your mind has a dramatic effect on your emotions and will manifest itself in your behavior. 
It has got way more power than it should over our lives. And it's high time that you understand that you have some control in your hand. God has given you the opportunity to make a difference in how this is influencing your life, your marriage, your kids, and a whole lot of other areas. And I know, I mean, nobody here is saying, no, after four minutes, I shut that off, man. I don't, I don't, the four minutes is it. Like, that's all I, come on, let's be real. Nobody does that. This is just five minutes. It's so powerful. Feelings are kind of crazy, aren't they? We think about them a lot. We start every day. Most of us, we, we ask one of the first greetings, we'll say, hey, how are you feeling today? Rarely does anybody say, how are you thinking today, right? Which is probably a much better question to ask. Feelings are like little unruly children that sit on the front row of our life, clamoring for our attention. Look at me, look at me, look at me, right? That's the way feelings are. And unlike thoughts, thoughts can be challenged by the question, why? Why should I think this? Why should I believe this? Why should I incorporate this into my belief system? Feelings are radically different than that. Feelings appear self-justified. In other words, they feel valid in and of themselves because I feel this way, then I am this way. I feel this way, therefore I should, I can't, I can't help it. That's just how I feel. That's the stuff I'm gonna let fly from my mouth because that's how I feel. This is just how I'm gonna be because this is what I feel right now. And we just kind of let it fly. And it's not helpful and it's destructive. And it's, it's crazy that these feelings, they feel self-justified, which makes them all at once both powerful and dangerous because they're unchecked. We just let them run the show. For many people, they, that is what we do. And it winds up controlling our life to a large degree. And this is what happens, that we tend to blindly follow feelings as though we have no choice. It's like we're held hostage. We're in bondage to the emotions. Have you ever felt that like that before? Like, let's be honest. Just think about it for a second. Have feelings ever gotten the best of you? Oh my gosh. As your pastor, I have to be honest. I can't lie up here. They have me, 100%. And I've had to ask, apologize. Many times you can ask my wife. Yeah, I've had to apologize for that. For sure. It absolutely has happened to me, too. And so, the question that I want to guide us the rest of our time together is how has Jesus taught us to break this bondage of our feelings? How has he taught us to break the bondage of our feelings? Because the answer to this question is counterintuitive. It, it's not what you might think. Because you cannot just take care of those feelings by hitting them head on. Well, I'm just going to man up, I'm going to woman up, and I'm just going to change the way I feel. Good luck, because that's not how feelings work, right? As a matter of fact, you cannot master feelings by taking them head on, trying to resist them with just willpower in the moment. But a whole lot of people, even well-meaning Christians, think that's how you do it. It is probably one of the biggest self-deceptions of our day, that when I'm faced with sin, the desire, the feeling to want to sin... In that moment, I'm going to be strong enough, I can just say no. Well, good luck with that, because I know a lot of people that thought that way, living with a lot of regret. That is not how it works. You have to start before then. You have to begin in an earlier place. As a matter of fact, let me just get you to think about 
going back to the question, where has feelings gotten the best of you? Think about this. This is going to be uncomfortable to think about, but think about it anyway. When was the last time feelings, emotions, just got so big and so over-the-top powerful, they kind of took over? They took over your mouth. They took over your body. They took over. They made you its slave. They owned you for a little bit of time, right? Is it, was it anger for you? This has been one I've had to really pray about at times. This is something I've really worked, I feel like God's really helped me with, but is anger, does anger get the best of you? Do you tend to slam doors, yell things, throw stuff, maybe scarier stuff than that? And later you go, oh my gosh, why? How, I don't, I'm, so, I'm embarrassed by how I acted, I can't believe I did that, please forgive me, I'm so sorry. It's like something possessed you, right? It's like something took over, it did. That emotion did. It took over. It made you its slave. It put you in bondage for a period of time, and it took over your decision-making. You were not rational. That anger was just flowing out of you, right? Some of us here, we need to be honest enough to say, this is mine. That's where I get owned sometimes. Maybe yours is fear. And, and I don't know how you could be a human being over the last year and a half and not having to confront some fear in your life over the uncertainty, the anxiety, the, it's just, it was a, it's been a scary year and a half of a lot of stuff that we don't really fully even now understand. And it's, it's been tough, hasn't it? And I know some people may say, no, 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 no. I was not afraid. I was just concerned, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. You were afraid. You were afraid. Just be honest, right? We were all afraid. That is part of it. And maybe that's your propensity to, it makes you go research, right? You look it up, and, and nothing wrong with looking up and getting background information, whatever, but you're just constantly, I gotta have, I gotta have more information. I gotta have, you know, it's just, it's fear driven. Is that what's driving your life? And is that where your go to is? Maybe the desire or emotion that takes over sometimes is sexual desire. When you get stressed out, it, it might be seeking out a person. Maybe it is seeking out images, pornographic images on the internet. I know this has been true for a lot of people, a lot of men that I have known that have struggled with this. has been an ongoing struggle in their life that they have a hard time saying no to this emotion, this drive, this thing that just tends to take over. Maybe it's food. Maybe when you get stressed or you get, life just gets too much, you're just like, I just need to eat. I just need to eat. Oh, man, the stuff that I think is delicious. And, man, when you eat the right stuff, it feels so good, doesn't it? Oh, my gosh. You want to feel good? Try food, right? It's really good. Um, if you don't like your food, then you're trying the wrong stuff. So, but we've got to be careful, right? It, it could drive us to make ourselves unhealthy. It can start to destroy us and deteriorate this beautiful gift, this body that God has given us. Uh, maybe it's just something, it seems as innocuous as looking good. Like, I can't feel good if I don't look good, right? And whatever that deception is, it is a false belief that we have bought into that says, my desires, my feelings must be satisfied rather than replaced, my feelings must be satisfied rather than replaced. And let me tell you what Jesus said about this idea, that these, these desires that lead us to sin. He says this, Truly I say to you, this is in John 8, 34, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin, 
This is habitually goes back to that same, we've all got that pet sin, that pet like, this is the place where if I'm going to fall, it's going to be here. This is going to be the issue for me. What is that for you? Think about it. He says, anybody who practices sin is a, let's say it together, is a slave to sin. You are in bondage to the sin. That it owns you. You know, the thing about slaves is they don't feel like they have a choice. Like, you don't choose to be a slave, right? It's not like something you, you just find yourself like, oh, shoot, look at this circumstance. I'm I, like, I, I don't have a way out. I don't have, this is, I'm stuck. I'm locked into this. I can't, I don't feel like I have a choice. And Jesus says, exactly. Because you know what's ruling your life? Your desires. It's owning you. And that's what happens when you usurp the throne of God and you put something else or someone else, maybe that someone else is you, that you're not living for God is the king of the kingdom that you live for. Like, God, you call the shots and I am your child and I'll follow what you say. No, I, Will's on the throne. I'm on the throne. I call the shots. I do what I want. That I'm the king of my own castle. That you're the queen of your own world. And when you take a person like that that feels like they're in charge of everything in their life and you tell them they can't have something they desire, they'll say, how dare you? That is offensive to me. That's like a hate crime to me. You tell me I can't have what I want? And that's the world that we live in today, folks. That people don't want to be told they can't have what they want. But Jesus is saying, the only reason I'm telling you this because I don't want to see you a slave to this. It will own you. It will destroy you. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, he said in John 10.10. But I have come to give life and give it abundantly. Jesus said, I'm trying to set you free. You have to trust me, though. Like it, it, it takes a transference of ownership. Like I want you, God, to, to run my life. Now I want to share with you a secret. A secret that I have seen godly people who have allowed God to be God in their life that they have learned and I've watched and learned from their life reading books and biographies of godly people. They, they're free to share it, but very few people learn the secret, okay? And here's the secret. You remember those old movies where there used to be this big buzzsaw like this and there's like a conveyor belt. It's moving and there'd be like some man or woman. They're tied up and they're on the conveyor belt and they're moving closer and closer to the buzzsaw. You remember that? Right? As a kid, you know, maybe it was like uh, Snidely Whiplash, you know, rolling his uh, handlebar mustache or something. <laughs> you know, so here comes the, the, the poor victim moving towards the buzzsaw. Here's what people who let God be God do. The moment that the conveyor belt of emotion starts heading towards the buzzsaw of sin, they say, I'm out. I'm done. I'm off. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm out of here. And it saves them a world of hurt. It's so powerful. It's incredible to see how this works. In other words, their aim isn't just to avoid sin. Their aim is to avoid temptation to sin. This is why, and last week I challenged you guys to begin to, if you're going to memorize scripture, start with the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, the last verse in the Lord's Prayer, and I'm sure you've read this before, is to lead us not into, let's say it together, into temptation. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus, I mean, this is like cliff note versions of how to follow him in this prayer, right? He's, he's boiling it down to just 
you know, six verses here, just really concise. And, and in, this, in, this, uh, in this little passage, he didn't say, lead us not into sin. He says, lead us not into temptation. Because Jesus knew if we waited that late, <laughs> all bets are off. There's no, y'all aren't going to be able to do it. But if you'll start way back over here with the temptation and say, that's where I'm going to put the guardrail in my life. I'm not going to go over here and put the guardrail like literally on the edge. I have no margin. Like if I just a little bit, over, like boom, I'm gone. And I have to pay for it the rest of my life. The stakes are too high over here. We need to wise people who are like, God, you be God of my, this area, of my emotions, my desires. I'm going to put the guardrail over here. That's smart. You've got margin. Now, he's saying, listen, if you really want for me to set you free, you've got to start to want things you don't now want. And you've got to start not wanting the things that you now do want. You're going to have to change your wants, your desires. They're going to have to be different. So I want to, I want to share with you today just that, that first major step in becoming free of being a prisoner a hostage, if you will, or in bondage to your emotions, that first big step is beginning to ask God to help you to have different desires than you now have. We all need new desires. We need a new vision for our life, in other words. We must start with a new vision to say, God, help me to see, like go into the future and see a Will Lewis that is free from this desire to sin. What would it be like, you, imagine for just a minute, if that desire, that emotion that drives you, that feels like it owns you, it drives you to sin, what if it was gone? What if you replaced it with a desire that drove you to God? What? That's possible. This is what Jesus is saying. He's going, you feel like you're a prisoner. You feel like there's no other option. You're a slave. But I'm here to set the captives free. I can give you a whole new way of looking at life and the things that own you over and over and over and over, but you won't find it out there in the world. It's going to come from him. He's saying, I want to help you to be made alive and new, but you've got to trust me. We see Jesus giving this same type of challenge to this man who had been, we're told, had been crippled, who had been without the use of his legs for 38 years. He's laying by this pool of Bethesda hoping someday maybe he could get healed. By There was a belief back then that the pool of Bethesda, whenever it bubbled up from the springs, that whoever was first in the water might get healed because they thought maybe that was an angel stirring up the waters. There was a lot of weird beliefs around this, but Jesus was down there one day, and here's all these people laying around. He walks up to this one gentleman, and here's what he says. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there, let's say it together, been there a long time, like he'd been stuck in this situation, lying there on the ground for 38 years. Which, interesting, I want a commentary that I read this week said, interesting parallel, that's the exact same number of years that Israel was stuck in the wilderness before God began to say, now I'm going to, get you ready to set you free. My promise, my deliverance, my blessing is about to come. And this man was laying there that long. And you think about it, I don't know if you've done anything in your life for 38 years, but I would have to say, anything you've done for 38 years would be a hard habit to break, right? He's stuck in this mentality. 
Now, this is a fascinating moment because Jesus asked such a powerful and important question. Here's what he says. He says, do you, let's say it together, do you want to be healed? Now, isn't this interesting? Jesus asked about his emotions. What do you desire? What do you want? What, 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 what do you actually long for deep down in your heart? Before I do anything for you, do you really want this? Do you really want something different? Or have you gotten so comfortable with this way of life that, yeah, you, you tell everybody you wish you were healed, but honestly, you've kind of grown accustomed to it, and it's just the way you want to live now. Do you really want to? Because if I do this, Jesus is saying, if I do this, you will have to change your thinking about you, the way you feel about you. Your identity will radically change. You will be a new man. You will see yourself, feel how you feel about yourself is going to change. You see, he, he, all the things that are going to have to happen to this guy in a physical sense will happen to every one of us in a spiritual sense when we come to Christ, when we become citizens of his kingdom. He's saying, you're going to change. I'm going to have to get you to change everything you think about yourself. You're going to have to re-understand who you are as my child, as royalty, as loved as Colossians 3.12 says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Did you know you're dearly loved, beloved of God, regardless of what this world says? And he says, you're gonna have to start thinking about yourself like this, which is gonna make you relate to others totally different. It's gonna make them relate to you totally different because you're a different person. It's gonna make you have to stop thinking in a mentality like, I am a victim of my circumstances. I can't do anything about my circumstance. I'm just stuck. I'm a slave of my circumstances. He's like, no more. <laughs> it's what I say goes. What man and, and people and society says is impossible, God says is possible. I can do this, but you have to trust me. You have to stop trusting yourself and what everybody else says. It's going to make this guy have to get up. He's going to have to, he's got to get a job. He's got to get a new career, right? Doing what? I have no idea. He's got to do something. I've known people who God has come into their life, radically changed them, and they have shifted their career focus. They have moved jobs. I have a friend, even this last week, that had been in a job for like 20 years and had prayed about it, prayed about it. God had shifted him. to a, He's moving to a whole different career because God was leading him. And I applaud my brother. That is, that is huge. Can you imagine? After two decades... That's a big deal. I'm not saying everybody should do that, but listening to God, seeking him. You're the king, not me. That's how you get there. This is what he was telling this guy, that you've got to be willing to trust me fully, and you're going to have a new identity, and how you live will flow from that identity, and your new identity will emerge out of being an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And I believe Jesus would ask you the same thing today. Do you really want this? Do you really want, does this, I mean, deep down in your heart, and, and you may not say, well, I'm not sure I fully want, want it yet, but I want to want it. That's a great place to start. Maybe that's your first prayer. God, help me to want to want it, right? I've told people that before that say, I can't forgive them yet. That's okay, tell God, I want to forgive them. I don't forgive them yet, but I want to. That's the first step. I just want, I want to do the right thing. I want to be obedient, but I, I'm not quite there. But God, help me to take that little baby step. I want to move that direction. But it's learning 
to say to him, yes, I want to want what you want for me, God. I want that. And to realize it is the only path to freedom for your soul, for your heart. It's it. That's it. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, he said this. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed, the, let's say it together, the passions and desires of their sinful nature, this is their former life, before Jesus was on the throne, this is when they were on the throne, that they, they, they mailed these passions and desires, all the emotions that drove their life, right, um, their sinful nature, to the cross and crucified them there. It is uh, a beautiful way of re-saying what he said in Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about right now, you and I living right now. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because he was willing to do that for me, I'm gonna let him call the shots. And he's the Son of God. <clears throat> And it's so incredible that when we begin to let him have his way, it changes our desires. He will do it. His Holy Spirit at work within our life, he will do it. Now, what he's talking about here is not a one-time event. It wasn't, it's not something that you just pray one time and, good, done, Christ-like now. Woo, that's good. I'm glad I got that out of the way. Well, I wish it worked like that. It is a daily decision of coming back to God's word. This is why God's word, his, his wisdom is so powerful that we come back to it on a daily basis and we let it become a part of our life. We read it. Get the Bible app, the YouVersion app. You read it. You, you, put it, you put it in places where you can remember it. Put it on note cards. Put it on your dashboard, on your window, or your mirror in the bathroom. It, places where you can read over it, over it, over it. Marinate on it. Let that be what your mind soaks in throughout the day and when you do that, you will begin to see that he will transform your desires themselves. And where our life is out of alignment with God's word, we submit to him and say, God, I want to bring my life in alignment with the help of your Holy Spirit. And when I do that, there is freedom that comes. But it is understanding that Jesus will help you to begin to want what you do not now want and to not want what you now want. He will change your absolute wants. And it's beautiful. This is something that even David said in the Old Testament, that those who delight themselves in the Lord, he will give them the desires, the wants of their heart. He's going to give you new wants. He will give you new desires, desires that lead you closer to God, not into sin any longer. And there's such freedom in that. So here's the big question I want to guide these last few minutes together. What are the feelings that should increasingly dominate our lives as we are transformed into Christ-likeness? What are they? They are simply put, love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, and peace. These are the first three that we are given by the Apostle Paul when he says, these are the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Like, and, and notice fruit is singular here. They're, they're all together. It's one, <clears throat> one single fruit, all of these together. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. These first three, these are the three primary dimensions of the fruit of God's Spirit within our life. 
Now these next six are simply the manifestation or the living out of the first three in our life. Things like patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are all love, joy, and peace lived out in our life. So let's talk about these three emotions just for a moment and how do we begin to incorporate them into our life and let them replace the old toxic emotions that we're leading away, away from God and into sin. So let's start with love. Let's define love. Love, we love someone or something when we will its good for its own sake. To love someone or something is to will its good for its own sake. So let me make a distinction here. Love is different and distinct from desire. You see, I can desire something without wishing it well. I desire hot chocolate chip cookies right out of the oven, but not to wish them well, to eat them, right? I want to consume them. Now, this is the fundamental difference between desire or lust, mere desire, and love. The kind of love that Jesus talks about between a man and a woman. That there is this desire that wants to rule us and Many times these get confused in our world today. That people may say love, but they really mean desire. They'll say, oh, man, I love that girl right there. I love this guy over here. I love, I, like, I follow him on social media. I love, love, love. Really what they're saying is I lust, 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 right? I lust. I don't will their good. I want them to, I want them for what they can do for me. What they can do for me, that's not love. That's desire, that's lust, right? And we get those confused a lot in our world today. Now, can desire, it's a really good question, can desire be compatible with love? Absolutely, desire, lust, absolutely can. If it comes under the rule of love, if it submits itself to the rule of love, that I desire your good for your own sake, that I will the good of my wife for her own sake, not for what she can do for me. That's love. And those can, those can totally cohabitate and be beautiful and work together. But Jesus gives us a, a tip on, like, how do we keep these straight? He says, this is, it, this is how you keep it straight. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. Talking about God. There's three movements to love. First, God loves us. That he, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? He loved us first and in response to that love, we love him. Even Jesus says the greatest commandment to love God with all your heart, mind, is what we're talking about today, soul, spirit, strength, all of that, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself, that we love each other and they love you. And that love is made, he says, that is when my love is made complete, later in the same chapter. When my love is made complete, you understand God loved you, you love him, and you love your neighbor because you love God and he loves you, right? And he even goes on to say, if you don't let this love be complete, then you're a liar. He says, if you say you have the love of God in you, but you don't love your neighbor, you've missed, you've got your wires crossed, you don't understand love. You're trying to get something out of it. You're not loving for the benefit of them, right? They're willing the good. He's saying, so be careful and discerning. 
Start with God. He is our model. He is our king of this kingdom. He shows us what love looks like, and we follow that model. Secondly, joy. Joy is the pervasive sense of well-being. And joy, not always, but many times likes to manifest itself in delight, well-secured. Delight. It's not over-the-top, giddy happiness, but it's just a delight that you're secure. Even, and this is so important, you are secure even in loss and even in suffering. God's got you. That's what joy is all about. God has got this, and he's got me, and I can trust that. It takes some time, but you can get there. You are built for this. It's beautiful. He says in John chapter 15, verse 11, and this is right after Jesus does his whole teaching about I am the vine and you are the branches, and anyone who abides in me and I in them Here's a promise. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Why? Because you're connected to me. You abide in me. I got you. You can trust this. And the moment you stop trusting is when the joy goes away and you worry. And you become a victim of uncertainty and, and, and anxiety and fear. In the Old Testament prophet Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, I love this. He says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It is your first line of defense against anxiety and fear and uncertainty. To go back to God's got me. Focus on the greatness of our God. He's so big. He's so powerful. There is nothing that can stop that. And when you focus on that, you worship. this is why worship is so powerful. It will change the way you feel, the way you think, and the way you behave. So powerful. Joy comes from that because it reminds you the truth about this universe that is so easy to lose because nobody's talking about it anymore. We have to go back to him, the source of all love, truth, joy. And finally, peace. Peace is this beautiful internal rest as a result of confident assurance about how things will turn out. An internal, internal rest that you can just rest, you can be at peace internally about how things will turn out. This has been one of the hardest ones for me to learn because really at its core, it's about surrendering outcomes to God, how things are gonna turn out for your marriage, for your finances, for your career, your kids, your future, you name it. What do you worry about? It's learning how to trust God with the outcomes and stop trying to manipulate and trying to, like, oh, it's all up to me. You're not the Savior. You do your best. You follow his word. You trust him, and there's a peace that goes with, I can trust God with outcomes. I can put it in his hands, and I can trust him with it. It's a powerful gift that so many believers, Christians, don't fully understand or be able to incorporate into their life. And here Jesus is talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit that is coming after his crucifixion and resurrection. He says, and this comforter is coming. The, the Holy Spirit is coming. And he says, and when he comes, he's going to bring this peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. The world's peace at best is temporary because it's only the absence of conflict. 
That's not real peace. That's pseudo peace. And he's saying, no, how about having peace in the middle of conflict? How about you being at peace even if living out the truth and living out my love and living out my joy puts you in direct conflict with the world sometimes, but you can be at peace about it. That's the kind of peace I can give you. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. These are enemies of peace. A troubled heart that's constantly anxiety-ridden, fearful. It robs our peace. But it's coming back to the Lord and saying, God, help me. Help me to connect with that deep inner rest of knowing that I can be confident and have confident assurance about how things are going to turn out. I trust you with how things are going to turn out. Sometimes you may have to just start by saying that. You don't fully feel it yet. God, I want to feel the peace that comes from trusting you fully with how this is going to turn out. I, I give it to you. You just start by saying that. Love, joy, peace. These go together. You cannot have love without joy and peace. You can't have joy without peace and love. You can't have peace without joy and love. They, they go together. They, they are a package deal. They come together. And God intends for us to replace those old toxic emotions with these godly ones. And I know it may feel impossible right now. You may say, well, Pastor, well, I, you don't know my story. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know the torment. I feel inside. I'm telling you, you have been built for this. You have been created by God, and he will help you do it. He will help you to incorporate these into your life. Do not give up. Don't give up. He will help you. If you will make this a part of your life going forward, he will transform you from the inside out. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.